Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largum, a podcast exploring how to find a more balanced, sustainable and mindful approach to living, to support your well-being, the well-being of others and of the planet too. My name is Marla and in today's episode I'm sharing with you a conversation with Shalene Chin, who is part of the legal and diplomatic team of the Stop Ecocide campaign. The Stop Ecocide Foundation is doing incredibly important work in pushing for ecocide to become recognised as an international law. This would be a crucial step in the fight to hold companies accountable for the horrific destructions caused to the environment, disproportionately impacting marginalised communities. It's also important to mention that this law is only one aspect of a solution to protect the environment, but it's a super important step in raising awareness about the destructive practices currently permitted legally, and also in working for these companies to be punished for the horrific damages that they have caused. In this conversation, Shalene shares much more about the Stop Ecocide campaign, examples of what would be considered ecocide, the process involved in getting ecocide recognised as an international law, and why this process is so important, along with how you can support the campaign. There's a lot to learn from this one, and I really hope that you enjoy. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I'm happy to do this. For me, education is a big part of my life. You know, I'm still a student, has always been a student. Uh, and, and I think that imparting the knowledge to people who are eager to learn, eager to listen, I think is uh, very, very important. We get the message across. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing perspective to have. We're all continuous learners and we need to prioritize that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. at first it would be super great if you could just talk a bit about yourself, the work that you do and how you came into working with the Stop Ecocide campaign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So first off, um, my name is Shirlene Chin and I'm a Malaysian living in The Hague, the Netherlands. Uh, And I've been living here for the past 12 years already. I did my uh, law studies here and, um, well, I've pretty much stayed also because in Europe, compared to where I'm from, there's more civic space to, you know, address concerns about the environment and also the rule of law. So myself, having been born and raised on the island of Borneo, which is the third largest island in the world, I I do feel and I have a special connection to the forests and also the sea. We're we're a big island surrounded by the South China Sea and, and water. So unfortunately, my island has sort of like, let's say, been a victim of massive large-scale deforestation to make way for palm oil plantation and palm oil is being used in like regular consumer products like soaps and shampoos and foods and whatnot you know things that are um, exported uh, to Europe and this led me to doing an internship with an NGO think tank here in The Hague Uh, Some years ago, it's called the Institute for Environmental Security. And there I did a little bit of research about um, the transboundary haze pollution, the the issue that was going on in Southeast Asia. And, you know, it happens every year where in Indonesia and parts of Malaysia, the forest is being burned 
so much that you get smog going across borders into Singapore, into Malaysia, to Thailand. And some of it is also being done in, um, let's say, Cambodia. And uh, it's not a very sustainable way of doing business. And um, yeah, so I did, I did a research on that one. And um, it was during my internship with uh, the Institute that I met the late Polly Higgins in 2012. And uh, we invited her over to, to speak at a workshop on ecocide because then we got whiff of this, you know, this buzzword called ecocide. I think Oxford even or, or some dictionary even considered it the, the word of the year, one of the, you know, trending words of the year. And um, yeah, it was 2012 that uh, I met Polly and then soon I began working for also the Institute. So at that point with the Institute, we, we, we were doing several projects, projects in um, the Guyana Shield region. So that's covering French Guyana, Guyana and Suriname. And we're talking about um, how indigenous peoples use, you know, payment for ecosystem services to, to rehabilitate degraded land and how this, you know, ties into just environmental protection and I also worked on an EU funded project on environmental crime so while I was uh, the legal projects officer with the institute I maintained contact with with Polly and slowly but surely I started also bringing her or you know getting her accredited to attend the um, international criminal courts assembly of states parties this happens every year. It's sort of like a general assembly of the, the, the states parties, the member countries to the court. So the International Criminal Court is based here in The Hague. And every year in December, they have an annual meeting with the countries and also um, representatives of um, NGOs. And I would bring Polly in as an NGO person and we would organize side events on on ecocide. Sadly, Polly passed away in April 2019 after a short battle with cancer. But you know, she was a she was a trailblazer. She she inspired so many people, and um, and the the few of us who really really collaborated with her endlessly, we decided to carry on the legacy. And there was you know, th there's no stop. And Polly wanted this to be carried on regardless of whether or not she's still on Earth. So we're now known as uh, Stop Ecocide Foundation, and I represent them as, uh, you know, in, in their diplomatic and legal work uh, with a particular focus on small island nations and also strategic projects with various NGOs and strategic partners. So there's been a growing support for our work from more NGOs than ever before, uh, but most importantly for the campaign itself, the whole purpose of the campaign is to get, you know, Ecocide recognized as a, the fifth international crime at the ICC, so the International Criminal Court. So we've been gaining a lot of support from countries like Sweden, uh, France, Belgium, the Maldives, Vanuatu, um, but also uh, prominent figures like the Pope Greta Thunberg, uh, Cara Delevingne, if you know her, uh, Paul McCartney, uh, and also Princess Esmeralda of Belgium. Mm -hmm. That's so incredible. And it would be so transformative to be able to make ecocide another international law. Because I, when you were speaking about the smog and the way it travels, mm -hmm. that has no boundaries. Environmental destruction isn't 
confined by a boundary that a country sets between another. So international law is so important when it comes to environmental destruction, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I thought it would be wonderful if for anyone who isn't familiar with the term ecocide, whether you could provide a definition for it and maybe a few examples of what would be covered under this concept of ecocide. Sure. So there's not yet an international definition on ecocide, but we launched an expert drafting panel last November and they'll be working on a definition that can be, you know, legally recognized to bring forward the the discussion even further. But most know ecocide as the large scale destruction of or damage to ecosystems, basically. So if ecocide were a crime, one could say that the one-ton, you know, destruction of the Amazon in Brazil is a form of ecocide. Um, oil spills caused by recklessness by, um, by big oil industries, that could also be ecocide. Uh, one very key example is the ongoing oil, oil spills in the Niger Delta. Um, that is also that can also be considered ecocide. And also, if you think about massive contamination of soil and water by mining companies with disregard for people and the environment, that could also be regarded as a form of ecocide. I just think it's so horrific the way that companies have been able to get away with such mass destruction to the environment and then the impact that that's having on people's lives and mm. how it's actually impacting on often the people who are having the least impact on causing those problems. It's just, yeah, Mm -hmm. horrific. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it is that these companies have been able to get away with these things for so long? I mean, international law or even, yeah, just law itself provides companies the right to do business, right? First is the right to do business, the prioritization of profits for uh, shareholders, We've got weak laws in certain parts of the world. We've got poor governance also in certain parts of the world. There is lack of enforcement, you know, lack of law enforcement, for instance, even if there is law. Um, there's also corruption. We can also think about uh, big industry players who are major lobbyists, uh, major lobbyists in, in a way that they attend these major Uh, climate conferences and they lobby for their positions in order to secure the right to continue doing business as usual for instance you know they they for for big companies like that they also have really good team of lawyers to help them fight if anything if they were ever sued in court yeah excuses that they use um are are for example, that end users demand our products and therefore we continue supplying if there's no demand then we won't we won't we want supply, but if there's a demand, we're just going to carry on. It's not our fault. So these are these are some of the the reasons why they've continued to you know carry business the way that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this very might be very naive of me to say, but I find it so frustrating to think that there is a need for a law just for people to stop doing such awful destruction. You would like to think that people had enough humanity to to not want to be doing something so damaging but it goes to show why this law is so important because these horrific things are happening and mm-hmm. yeah maybe that mm-hmm. is a very naive thing for me to say but it's just it's horrible to think that all of these horrific things are happening and mm-hmm. it just feels like such a lack of humanity 
and empathy and care for what you're doing to the environment and to other people. Mm -hmm. So it would be really, really valuable if you could maybe talk through the processes involved in creating ecocide as a law and an international law. Right. You know, to take off where you just where you just mentioned that people don't don't care and that you need the law in order for there to be some sort of protection for the environment. Now, you need to bear in mind that, you know, law is only one of the tools to protect the environment um, and, and ecocide. Without a law, you don't have a crime. Without a crime, you don't have punishment. So you need to at least somehow, at the bare minimum, introduce the law written on paper before it can be considered a crime. Without a crime, really, you don't have any punishments. Without punishment, you don't, you don't get reparation. You don't see justice. So that is why the campaign is really, really pushing for ecocide to become a crime so that people can be punished, you know, but things can be prevented and, and victims can seek reparations. So yeah, some of the stages uh, that are needed to, to make this a crime at the international level is, you know, we will need a state party to the International Criminal Court to table an amendment to include uh, the crime of ecocide at the International Criminal Court. Currently, the court recognizes four core crimes, that being genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and crime of aggression. So that's four core crimes. And what the campaign is seeking to achieve is to recognize ecocide as the fifth core crime. Now, a majority vote, once the um, amendment is tabled, is needed. A majority vote from the state's party, so we're talking about countries, will be needed for the amendment to be considered. That's the first stage. Uh, well, second stage, basically. And then the third stage would be um, a two-thirds uh, voting to get it into the legal document of the International Criminal Court, which would make it a crime. So the, you know, the journey day for me is very interesting, a very interesting one, because it, it doesn't stop there. And it, the journey there is also interesting because there's this political traction that we need to support such an amendment and eventually the vote to get it on paper. So national efforts, for instance, by parliamentarians, and this has, you know, recently the uh, European Parliament has also voted to consider um, pushing or asking the member states of the EU to push for a crime of ecocide nationally and internationally. So whether or not, you know, it happens in a year or in 10 years, the journey there is interesting because we're creating a lot of awareness. And also, if it happens that national law also considers, all right, we might need to take a look at this, um, this, this crime and probably improve or amend our own national laws to make sure that the right penalties are imposed for such large-scale destruction of the environment, even locally. I think that is already a small little victory for the campaign itself because it's a signal that business as usual and destruction of the environment without any due regard to you know indigenous peoples or the people or the livelihoods and the health and security national security even it is no longer tolerable so it's a signal that these kind of practices are no longer tolerable yeah definitely mm -hmm. and that 
actually these companies need to be held accountable for what they're doing and it feels as though in so many cases it is almost that negating responsibility by moving these issues elsewhere because maybe the country they're in has a law that prevents a certain practice so by offsetting that to somewhere else they feel Mm -hmm. like they can override that so it really does feel like this law could be so transformative in helping to hold these companies accountable for what is happening. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I, I, I agree. I mean, they are making use of the loopholes. Businesses are also smart. You know, once you know the law, you know where the loopholes are, you know how to get away with it. And in countries where corruption is endemic, it's probably even easier to get away with things. Mm-hmm. So going off that, I'd love for you to discuss a bit more about the issues that maybe you're facing in trying to push for this international law and all of these loopholes. It must be such a difficult job to try and create such a tight law that prevents companies from being able to find a way around it and still get away with these destructive practices. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, the thing is like, Ecocide as a crime, a future crime of ecocide, um, since it's not a crime now, we're trying to put in place a crime that would prevent harm in the first place. So we're not trying to advocate for no business at all. Yeah, sure. The right to do business is, is going to be there and will forever be there. You can't take that right away. But what we're aiming for is the sustainable, you know, sustainable business model. Right. Right now, it's really unsustainable and and very unhealthy for the environment and for the people and for the planet. And I think, you know, some of the challenges that we face is uh, I think the good old denial, the good old like, I don't think this is, you know, this is this is not my concern. This is they have the right to development, let's say, you know, making excuses. Also, there's also a lack of understanding. Um, So ecocide itself is not that is not something that targets the individual user. So by driving a diesel car, you're not complicit in a crime of ecocide. It is, it is the businesses, it is the governments that are, that are supporting such an industry that is, uh, that, you know, they are the ones who are holding any progress back. There's also um, oftentimes lack of political will. So countries whose industry or whose GDP depends a lot on destructive practices and industries, they will also stand in the way of us making ecocide or pushing for ecocide to become a crime. And as I mentioned before, lobbying, lobbying by big companies uh, is also a, a, a challenge for us. So, you know, one way to sidestep this is to make sure that people have a better understanding of ecocide. Again, it is even, you know, like I said, ecocide is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time before the crime is introduced. So in between, what can businesses do? Businesses can change their ways. Businesses can reevaluate their business models. Uh, businesses can, you know, instead of waiting for a big majority of users to demand green energy, they can already market this, right? They can already go the green direction and say, well, we've got a better alternative that is good for the environment. If you offer it, they will take it. If you don't offer it, they don't know it's there. So somewhere, somehow, it's about a market balance. And it's also creating a competitive space for, let's say, greener greener products and, and 
green everything. So everything that's sustainable, everything that has the environment in mind, that has awareness built into it. You know, I think it's in the interest of consumers also to know um, through the supply chain where their products are from, because, you know, sometimes what you don't see doesn't, doesn't affect you. So ignorance is bliss in a way, unless you maybe read the label, unless you do some little research on your own. Yeah, so those are some of the struggles that we, we face in, in, in carrying this campaign forward. But, you know, we, we, we are very positive in the sense that Ecoside itself is getting very much um, recognised at the international level and having prominent figures like the Pope and, and uh, you know, Paul McCartney, Greta Thunberg supporting and endorsing um, Ecoside is, is very critical and very important to our work. Yeah, it's so great that the recognition is growing. Like mm-hmm. it's such an important thing for this awareness to be growing. And I do feel like recently there has been a lot of responsibility placed on consumers to do the work, even from companies placing that onto consumers. And it's so frustrating because even when as an individual, you try and look into these things, mm-hmm. there's so much greenwashing, there's so much mm. marketing that is done incorrectly and a consumer can actively be trying to do better. But this misinformation, it's so counterintuitive and it's really difficult then for a consumer to do better. And then Mm -hmm. they're taking that responsibility on themselves rather than these bigger companies having to make changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, somebody needs to lead. It's not going to be the consumers, either the government or the industry's lead. You know, if you if you create, you need to also create a demand. Uh, you don't wait for the demand. You create that demand for something new and better, an alternative source. And then you create a level playing field. Right now, everything is, just, well, some would complain that it's too expensive. But if industries were to, you know, get in on the new alternative, uh, as a healthy option of products out there that, users can finally demand yeah yeah definitely and I think that's why what you're saying about the shift in political thinking and have politicians behind this is so important because I do feel like there has been such and there continues to be a lack of forward thinking because of like when the next election may be and (laughs) thinking ahead to that rather than thinking longer terms when Mm -hmm. you know environmental solutions are going to take longer sometimes than four years Mm -hmm. And if you only have governments thinking that far ahead, you're never going to be able to achieve the change that needs to be made. And I think as well, going back to what you were saying about the almost support that governments may be receiving from these damaging companies, Mm -hmm. it becomes this really quite sinister system of how support is coming from a destructive place to Mm -hmm. support who is supposed to be implementing better laws to prevent that destruction. But mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but it just... No, it's, it's, it's then it becomes a vicious circle, you see? So we got to get out of that vicious circle of, yeah, we only have this product and therefore there's this demand and you keep you're extracting and over-exploiting. And yeah, but you, you need to get out of that vicious circle and provide the alternative. I mean, don't blame it on the end users. I think that's that's a very lame excuse. I mean, you have 
all the tools available, all the skill sets available, and all the resources available to to make a change. And really, it's all about leadership. You know, leadership not just at the political level, but leadership also at the corporate level. You know, do you want to be a brand that is that is uh, considered to be destroying the Amazon or parts of you know ecosystems elsewhere in the world, or do you want to be part of you know a, a new group of companies or new group of states that you know take into account nature, the protection of nature, the prioritization of rehabilitation of nature, and all that. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's like the priorities of business needs to shift away from purely financial growth mm-hmm. and into how they're impacting on the environment, on people's lives. And Mm -hmm. it's horrible to see how people's welfare and the environmental, like, sustainability of this planet is not prioritised in the same way that they are prioritising finance. And that's a really big shift that needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. they got to think long-term. Right now, they're thinking very, very short-term. They're thinking about, you know, coming up with the next... uh, high profit margin, record-breaking profit margin for their shareholders. But guess what? Shareholders are also getting educated these days. So shareholders also do not want to invest anymore in something that, you know, could potentially crash in the future. Yeah. They also want to invest wisely. They also want long-term investment on something that is sustainable. And right now they, they understand and they're beginning to understand that the business model uh, the old business model is not sustainable and sustainability is the way to go. I mean, this is being promoted by the UN at the highest level, but you know, if you don't put this into action, it's, it's just a buzzword really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And also with what you were saying about um, the importance of leadership and mm-hmm. something that I think is really wonderful that you were saying earlier is about continuing a legacy you know it's not it's not purely about relying on one individual to carry a movement there's power in community and people Mm -hmm. coming together to make a change and it's so much harder to dismantle a um, movement when it's led by so many people passionate about this thing whereas if it's Mm -hmm. pinned on this one individual it's so much easier for something to crumble. So I think that's a big power that is behind the eco-side, which I think is great. Absolutely. (laughs) What can people do to further support the work that Stop Eco-Side campaign is doing? And yeah, how can people do more to get behind this super important campaign? So I would encourage people to first visit our website. It's stopecoside.earth. And uh, from there, you can also, um, you know, join the links to our Instagram, to our Twitter account and, you know, go through the website to learn a little bit about what Ecocide is, um, what it entails, what's going on with, let's say, the drafting panel and who's been supporting Ecocide, um, sign up to our newsletters, but also very importantly, um, you know, if, if one is willing, sign up to become an earth protector. Um, an earth protector is is where you sign up to you know at, at a minimum of five euros or I think a few pounds and from there once you become an earth protector uh, the funds that are you know the fund that is donated is used for our legal and diplomatic work so remember I mentioned the annual assembly of states parties 
uh, of the ICC. It happens either in The Hague or in New York every year. And it is very important that state parties are well represented during these meetings because a lot of important decisions are made at these meetings. And oftentimes, small island nations like Vanuatu, who I work also very closely with, and Kiribati and Tuvalu, Solomon Islands, Fiji, they don't have the means to travel across the world to attend such a meeting. So the donation that goes into somebody becoming an earth protector helps us help them get physically to an important meeting where their votes matter. If you're not there, the votes uh, are probably not counted, but you know, it's, it's for them to get engaged in the whole process. It's for them to also understand, well, this is the law that we are going for. And you know, with their support and with the understanding of what ecocide is to the future, let's say the existence of the, the entire state itself, if it gets, you know, if it disappears because of sea level rise, they no longer exist as a state, right? So becoming an earth protector really directly helps us support them and uh, support them to, you know, go to very important meetings and support some of the work that uh, many of us volunteers do with Stop Ecocide Foundation. Yeah. No, that's incredible that you will know exactly how your money is going to support because having small islands who maybe don't have the capacity to be sending representatives to these important meetings, that whole nation of people aren't having their voices heard. And that is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So allowing representatives from those countries who in many cases are the ones that are suffering the worst impacts of the climate crisis, they need to be at those meetings. They need to have their voices heard because exactly. otherwise whole civilizations just going to be de destroyed even further yeah and more importantly you know at the international criminal court and you know, unlike other conferences where they are parties or their states parties to at the international uh, criminal court a state gets one vote no matter how big no matter how small so it's not by uh and and what do you call it in the eu they practice um equality in voting so that depends on the gdp or the number of population you have no at the icc it's one vote per country and so it's very important that they get represented yeah definitely mm -hmm. oh, well thank you so so much for that um mm -hmm. definitely anyone who is able to support in any way definitely do it because it's yes, such please. an important cause yeah so if anyone hasn't already had so much to take away from this, if they're still considering why they should support the Ecoside campaign, what final message would you want to send to those people? Well, I'll say, you know, connect with us, send us, send us a message, um, you know, connect with me. Uh, we'll be happy to answer your questions. There are a number of students who are very eager to write about Ecoside itself, to do research, uh, I myself, I've been supervising students uh, with their work as well. A lot of them are also seeking internships. So these kind of things, you know, if, if you get involved, you learn a little bit more about what we do. And um, yeah, for, for everybody else out there, I really think that going to our website, uh, following us on, on social media helps in understanding 
the work that goes into the whole campaign and also, you know, keeping updated on the progress. There's been so much progress over the past year. I, I can't even list them right now. <laughs> That's so exciting, though, that such great progress is being taken. And yeah, I'm so sure that if anyone checks out you guys on social media, on the website, instantly you're going to see how important all of this work is and I mean you've articulated it so well already um you. you will see how much positive change is happening and how important it is and how much it is improving yeah what will be people's welfare and the environmental sustainability of this planet so mm -hmm. yeah super important um, thank you no problem thank you I just have one final question for you which I always ask to my guests on the podcast um which is how do you find your little bit of lagum and lagum's a Swedish concept which is all about finding balance not too little not too much um so how you find yours would be super nice to hear hmm it changes but one constant is yoga so not too much not too little I did a lot of yoga when I first started, but these days, you know, I pace myself. Um, but I think uh, healthy food, so good food, not too much of the junks, not too little of the junks either, just a good balance. And uh, I think more importantly these days, spending quality time with uh, my little puppy. So, yeah, going outside, not just staying inside. Even if it rains, it rains. You know, puppy loves rain and yeah, it's just a balance of everything. It changes, but I think the more people go outside, take a walk, the more you appreciate nature. Yes, definitely. And being in nature is something that binds us all together. You know, mm -hmm. we're all living on this planet. And I think that connection connects you to something much deeper and that can help evoke your empathy and understanding for each other. So, yeah. Absolutely, agree. <laughs> What's your lagom then? I've been asked this so much more recently <laughs> on the podcast and then I'm like, Whoa. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I always am saying it, it fluctuates for me as well. And I think having these conversations is super nice as well and hearing other people's mm. perspectives and how they find it. And I think it is a constant reevaluation. What helps you find more balance in each moment is going to change in each moment because no moment's the same mm -hmm. um but I think something at the moment that I'm trying to get more into is practicing mindfulness because it's mm. something I've really struggled to do um because I have a very loud internal dialogue and sometimes, a bit of quiet mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay. and I'm finding it super valuable like challenging but mm. a good challenge because I know that I need it <laughs> well same here same here so every once in a while, peace and quiet is good. You know, every once in a while, a little bit of uh, uh, loudness and rambunctiousness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. But I, I'm pretty sure you'll get there. I mean, you seem to be a very quick learner anyways. So I, I do wish you the best of luck in your journey to complete mindfulness. Bear in mind, you know, you need to have a balance of everything. Once in a while, go out and play. <laughs> yes, definitely. Good advice for everyone to get out and play. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so so much for your time I'm so incredibly grateful and you've shared so much valuable insights into the Stop Ego Side campaign and yeah I think people will have so much to take away from this so thank you no problem Marla it's been my pleasure thank you thanks so much to Sherlene for her time and all the information about the Stop Ego Side campaign 
I'll leave the link to the website in the descriptions for this episode so you can go and learn more about this incredibly important campaign. If you have any thoughts or reflections on this episode or on any of the episodes of the podcast, feel free to get in touch. You can find me on Instagram at a little bit of Largum, or you can drop me an email to a little bit of Largum at gmail.com. I really love hearing from you. And please feel free to share these episodes with family and friends. It really helps the podcast and the super important causes. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.